I think we're ready to have Andrew up. Andrew, can we welcome him as he comes up? It's been great having you. I've heard all that you've had to share and looking forward to tonight. So. Thank you. I am as well. Um, thank you guys for coming. Oh, thank you. I don't know. Is that your Yeti? I don't want to take that home with me, so um, or maybe I do. <laughs> um, it's been such an honor and privilege to be here with you guys. I know I said that this morning, but I've just been so encouraged uh, by 12th Avenue, and um, like you said, not a lot of churches do things like this. Um, it's a very special place. Learn about the history and of uh, generations in the past who continuing to labor faithfully and continue to pass that on to the next generation um, within 12th Avenue as well. And so I just want to commend you in that. And um, yeah, just really appreciative of the opportunity to be here with you guys. Um, so just kind of a summary of where we've been so far. Uh, last night we talked about the state of the world and. Um, unreached people groups and what that means and the different uh, major blocks of people uh, in the world and what about those who never hear this morning, looking at the biblical foundations for um, man, God's heart for the nations and that story and thread throughout all of Scripture and the Bible. And tonight we're going to get really practical. We're going to be talking about the global Christian lifestyle. I'm not talking about habits, I'm not talking about roles, we're talking about a lifestyle of what does it look like to reorient our lives around God's purposes for the nations and for our lives. And so before we do that, I just want to review one quick verse that we talked about a little bit this morning that should be really familiar to you guys. I put this in before I even knew I was coming and that you guys are sent every week. But John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What does it mean to live as a sent one? What does this mean to live practically in our communities and in the world as people who are commissioned and sent by our King? And a global Christian is a, a, a good representation of that. We're going to talk about a global Christian and what that means. And I just want to say before we get into my definition for this, uh, you're not going to find that term in the dictionary anywhere. You're not going to find it probably online in too many places. But a global Christian, God doesn't love a global Christian more than a regular, if I can use that term, regular follower of Christ. Uh, God's love is perfect. It's unending. It's not that we, we do more for God. He'll love us more. That's not how this works. God's love is full and perfect. But a global Christian has a different perspective on their lives. They have a different perspective, and that changes how we interact with the world and how we live in our communities and in the world. And the definition of global Christian I came up with was this. Disciples for whom Christ's global cause has become their overriding priority for how they live their lives. This is the, the reorientation that I was talking about this morning. That, that we see what God's will is in Scripture. We see what God is doing. And we say, okay, I, I, I want my life to fit in that somehow. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like always. I don't have all the answers. It may look different in different seasons of our lives. But I want my life to be in line with what God is doing in the world. What God's will is, I think so oftentimes I get people who ask me, like, I just wish that God would tell me my will, God's will for my life. I want to know what God's will is for my life. I said, that's great. Do you first know what God's will is? 
and then ask, what is God's will for my life? Because if we don't understand what God's will is, what God's purposes are in the world, then um, we can't orient our lives around that. And so um, this evening, um, we're going to talk about four different uh, practices of world Christian lifestyle. But before we do that, we can't lose sight of who it's all about. Can't lose sight of who it's all about. Living a, what I'll call a person-driven life. That in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That it's all about him. It's all towards him. It's all for him. It's all him in us, with us. And a couple things to help with that is this statement. The great commandment is the heart of the great commission. The great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. There's lots of reasons that people get involved in the great commission. There's lots of reasons people, uh, motivations maybe, compassion or guilt or whatever that might be, that may not be bad motivations, but there's only one motivation that will keep you involved. There's only one motivation that will sustain you in your involvement in God's work, and that is the love of God and the love of your neighbor. 2 Corinthians 5 says Christ's love compels us. Christ's love controls us. And so there's lots of ways to get involved, only one that will keep you involved. And with that, let's move in, go ahead and move into the four uh, um, ways that we can be practices of a world Christian lifestyle. And these should be very familiar to you because they're the four that are on your response card um, for 12th Avenue for this conference. So the first one we're going to talk about is the practice of welcoming. Practice of welcoming. When I think about welcoming, we're talking about biblical hospitality. Now that could be a whole sermon series. What does that mean to live out of biblical hospitality? So we won't go too deep into that tonight, but a couple instances, uh, thinking about this in particular when it comes to God's heart for the nations, is uh, thinking about welcoming those who are not citizens of our country into our homes, into our church, and into our world. And you guys already do a great job at that with international student ministry. Some of the biblical foundations for that, Leviticus 19, when God was giving the Israelites the law, he said this to them, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Why? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God was commanding them because they were foreigners in the land of Egypt, that when they're in the land of Israel, that the foreigners among them, they are to welcome them because they know what that's like to live as foreigners, to live as aliens. And who better to welcome the foreigner among us than those who are exiles and aliens on this earth? 1 Peter 2 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's us. This world is not our home. Philippians 3 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. Our allegiance is first and foremost to our king, secondly to our country. In Philippians, that would have been a big deal because in the city of Philippi, there were lots of Roman citizens who lived in the city of Philippi. And being a Roman citizen, if you've read the New Testament, Paul was a Roman citizen. Being a Roman citizen was a big deal. 
Not many people were Roman citizens in the city of Philippi. There were lots of Roman citizens because retired generals and other people in the army had served their time, got settled in Philippi, and the major body in the city of Philippi were citizens who have been very proud of their citizenship. And I'll just tell you, I love my country, but our citizen, first and foremost, is in heaven, and that dictates how our, our priorities with these things. And so I just want to share a few statistics. You guys are already doing great at this. With international students, there's about almost a million international students studying in the U.S., uh, good, a, a number of them here in Emporia. Uh, international students are from these countries. Where are the international students from in Emporia? I feel like some people mentioned that earlier, but some of these countries are represented, right? China, uh, Nigeria as well. I know there's other countries in Southeast Asia as well. Many people are from least reached areas. Uh, and when I was in college at Kansas State, um, God was growing my heart for the nations, and it was really easy for me to be around international students because they were in all of my classes on campus in engineering school. And so I remember one semester in particular, I, I made eye contact with my friends, and then I looked at the front of the room and saw all the international students who were up there and said, I'm like, okay, Sorry, guys, I'm going to go sit by them uh, because they're, I, I want to get to know people who are from other countries. And so I sat down next to these two guys who ended up being from China. And three times a week for an hour in dynamics class, uh, these two guys and I got to know each other. We got to talk about what life was like in China. We got to talk about dynamics. My grades improved significantly <laughs> that semester because these guys were geniuses. Um, that fall, uh, with my parents' permission, uh, we decided to invite these two guys to come home with us for the entire week of Thanksgiving. And talk about culture shock, right? Two guys from the most populous country on planet Earth coming to Northwest Kansas. Yeah, that was an experience. I think they literally asked me, where are all the people? <laughs> like, are you hiding them somewhere? Um, they got to hold a gun for the first time never held a gun before in their lives. They got to see a large farm and large machinery that we use on our farm. Um, they got to go to church with me for the first time. And there's not a lot to do out there. So I think one of them got bored and saw a book sitting on our coffee table, and it was a Bible. And they started, where else do you start in any book but in the beginning, right? And so he's reading. His English is pretty good until he gets to Genesis 17, where God gives um, the sign of the covenant to Abraham in circumcision, and they didn't know how to translate that word. How do you explain that, <laughs> right? Uh, we didn't, and moved on, and just left it at that. Um, but after, after that year, these guys came to church with us. They, they got, were in Bible studies. At the end of that year, they went back to China and did not respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. But I asked them towards the end of that year, did you guys know any Christians at all before you came to the U.S.? They said, no, you and other guys in our dorm floor were the very first Christians that we'd ever met. We had never read the Bible before. We'd never seen a Bible before. We're so grateful for that. I went back to China, and because of technology things at the time, and they couldn't access any communication methods with me, so we lost touch. But then nine years later, I get a message on Facebook, and one of them was back at Kansas State doing his post-doctoral studies, which I don't even know what that means. I know these guys were geniuses, 
And he said, hey, I'd love, next time you're in Manhattan, I'd love to see you and catch up and get you to meet my wife and our two daughters. I was like, whoa, a lot has happened in nine years. And we got there, my wife and I, and ate dinner with him. And he said, you know, um, when we got back here, our marriage was falling apart. Um, but the only people we knew uh, in Manhattan were the, the Christians uh, at church that you guys would take us to. So we went there, and um, long story short, we're getting baptized in a couple months. Praise God. How God moves people in different things. It wasn't me. <laughs> it was God's faithfulness. Minister. We have the opportunity to be able to minister and share the gospel with people who may not otherwise have access to the gospel in their home countries. So that's welcoming. The second practice is the practice of sending. I love this imagery of a, a pit crew in a NASCAR race, or that's not NASCAR, whatever that is. Um, just all the different roles and all the things that it takes behind the scenes to send, way, send people well and to be involved in that. Uh, a good model of sending, I think, comes from Romans 10, verses 14 through 15, where Paul says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What Paul is a visual of this verse is, is there's those who are unreached or those who haven't heard the gospel. He says, how can they hear unless someone preaches the gospel to them? So people have to go to share the gospel with them. And they can't go unless people are sending them. And so in this model, which is more important, those who go or those who send? It's the wrong question to ask. Both are equally vital. Both are equally important. Both sacrifice equally in the task. We will both rejoice and receive rewards for that, and throw them at the feet of our King, who is worthy of it all. Typically, when we think about sending, we think about giving, we think about, about praying, we'll talk about those things, but it's so much more than that. It's being an ambassador for your work, so I'm so glad you guys have that at your church. I'm going to steal that and bring it to our church back in Texas. It's anything to encourage, to communicate with, with the workers that you're supporting, to know that they're loved and that that you love them, and that they can continue to continue on in the work that God has for them. And we will talk briefly about, about giving and about praying. First of all, about giving. We don't have time to talk th about this a lot, but I just want to ask us, do we have a, a biblical view of money and possessions in general, or do we have an American view of money and possessions? Because those are not the same. They're not the same. Uh, Psalm 24, God owns cattle on a thousand hills. Haggai 2, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. Randy Alcorn sums it up like this. He says, God owns everything. I am his money manager. So we view our possessions differently when we see them as, we're, as stewarding them rather than owning them ourselves. You know, I, I'm so grateful for my parents. I learned a lot of things from them. One of the things I learned from them was just seeing their sacrificial generosity. Um, there was eight kids in my family, and uh, we didn't always have a lot of money growing up, but one of the things they did was give generously. 
and they gave um, and supported a lot of, of children with Compassion International or World Vision. And so I want to introduce you to uh, this guy named Gubin Dieren. Uh, I don't actually know if that's how you say his name. I've never actually met him. Uh, because, because I saw my parents giving generously, I too, when I began making some money in high school, uh, $6 an hour, I wanted to give generously as well. And so I began to sponsor uh, Gubin Dieren through the Compassion International uh, and when, you, when I found out he was in India, um, I had no clue about anything about India. Uh, I didn't know where it was on the map. I didn't know what the religion was. I didn't know anything. And, but as my money was going to uh, India, my heart began to grow for the country of India. And so after I became a Christian in college and began to see the thousands of unreached people groups and the needs in India, my heart broke because my treasure had been going to India for so many years. My heart was already in India because what Jesus says about treasure is this, for your treasure is there your heart will be also. He doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will follow. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. Giving. Second thing is, is praying. I remember when I was in college, somebody asked me this question, and I'll never forget it. They said, Andrew, if God were to instantly, like in one instant, answer every prayer that you've prayed in the last six months, how would things be different? How would your family be different? How would your church be different? How would your community be different? How would unreached people groups on the other side of the world be different? Because you know that God is able to do that. God has all power, all authority. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. Even the, the biggest prayers we're even able to imagine, God is able to do far more abundantly than that. And one other thing that happened when I was really, God was growing my heart for the nations is began to pray for the nations. And uh, one verse in particular that stood out to me about this was Matthew 9, 36 through 38. And so when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I was an engineering student, and as a problem and solution kind of guy, maybe it's just a guy thing, maybe it's an engineering thing, I'm not really sure, uh, but I see this verse, and I'm like, okay, you got a problem. Harvest is plentiful, not enough laborers. We need more laborers, right? And so in my mind, I'm thinking what's going to happen next is that Jesus, he's got the 12 disciples. Like, let's divide them up. Peter and John, you guys go there, work in that harvest. James and Andrew, you guys go over there. Uh, Judas, uh, I don't know what to do with you. Just like hang tight or something. I don't know. Where do you send Judas? Um, but that's not what Jesus says next. In chapter 10, he does send them out two by two. But before that, the, in the next verse, he says this, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Why does God first tell us to pray and then Jesus sends out the 12. Well, I think a couple reasons for that. Um, one of the things is that prayer changes our hearts. Um, when I was 
uh, learning about some of these things, uh, some of my friends decided that they were going to start a world prayer group where we would gather and pray for a different country every single week. And as college students, they thought the very best time for us to meet was 6 a.m. Monday morning. Like, is that a good time for anybody <laughs> to meet and pray for the world? Maybe, maybe that is. I think the reasoning was uh, you have no excuse besides sleep. So if you, like, really want to do this, you got no reason to not be there to pray. Uh, and so we did. 15, 20 of us would gather every Monday morning in a, in a classroom on campus. We would just go in because no one was there, <laughs> and no one stopped us from doing it, and we were students. And so uh, we met and faithfully prayed week after week. Someone would just lead, uh, research a country, and then bring prayer requests, and we just, we just gather and pray for the world. And uh, after we graduated, we decided, hey, let's all get together. Um, you know, it's been a couple years. We'd love to see each other. And so um, I was the odd man out. And so I had to get a passport, uh, get some plane tickets, and go visit my friends in South Asia. And this is where the people on the live stream won't see this uh, picture um, because some of them are still serving there. No doubt if um, many of these people are from, from Kansas. Some of you probably know some of these people in this picture. When we pray, God changes things. And one of the things he changes is us. We were praying faithfully for God to raise up workers to send to South Asia. And guess what he did? He raised up workers to send to South Asia. And some of them were the people who were praying for more workers to go to South Asia. Prayer changes things. Andrew Murray, famous pastor, said this, the person who mobilizes the church to pray will make the largest contribution in history to world evangelization. Because when we get desperate, when we really see our need for God, it drives us to our knees in prayer. For God to do what only God can do. And everything that we're talking about this weekend, only God can do that. And so what are we asking God to do? The third practice we're going to talk about is, is going. Going, we, we've talked about this a little bit already. Matthew 28, 19, the clear command from Christ to go and make disciples of all nations in the whole story of Scripture. We can't make disciples of all nations without going and being embodied messengers to the people that we're trying to reach, although there's other methods as well that we can do and, and be a part of that. Um, but I want to talk just briefly about three main pathways to go. Uh, three main pathways to go. Specifically, I'm thinking long-term. We're not going to talk about short-term um, because there's a lot we could talk about there or different roles that people can play as well. Uh, one conversation I was having uh, this evening that I didn't put this in the slides, but I want to mention it to you. Um, if you're wanting to be a part of what people are doing on the field, or if you're on the field and wanting like volunteers in the U.S. to help you uh, on different projects that you have, uh, there's a website you should write down called globalswitchboard.io globalswitchboard.io. Basically what their whole vision is, is to pair needs on the field with people 
in the U.S. or in North America or wherever who can volunteer to meet some of those needs as a kingdom consultant is what they call it. And so I would encourage you to go to that website afterwards, check that out, globalswitchboard.io, incredible work that they're doing um, and just uh, really connecting a lot of needs on the field with people who can help serve and meet those needs um, on a volunteer basis. And so the three different pathways to go, um, basically are the three different ways that people can go long-term. Um, these are broad categories. Uh, the first of those is what I'll just call traditional workers. I don't like that term. I just don't have another way to say that. Uh, traditional workers are what um, we typically think of when we think of missionaries, people who raise support, who would go, um, would learn the language, um, see the church established. They're, they're fully vocationally invested in the work that they're doing in a lot of different ways. Um, Jesus was a traditional worker. Paul was mostly a traditional worker. So we have good biblical examples of traditional workers. And it's a good model in a lot of places still today. Uh, but it's not the only model. It's not the only way. There's certain countries where, where this doesn't work. You can't go to a creative access country a lot of times as a traditional worker. Some you can, but a lot of them you can't. And so that's where some of these other pathways come into play that we'll talk about briefly. And the first of those is business and missions or business as missions or business for transformation. There's lots of different ways to say that. It's basically the idea of using a business um, or integrating business and ministry goals together. Um, a lot of countries that are creative access, this is w- one of the only ways to be there long term. There's a lot of uh, difficulties with this. Working and starting a business is hard. Doing that in another country is really hard. Uh, but if we're going to reach people in places like India, uh, this is one of the best ways to be there is to start a business and be able to be there on a business visa and be able to integrate ministry uh, goals into that and to be able to establish a church in that way. Uh, Biblical examples of this that I thought of are Paul, again. Paul was a tent maker by trade at different times throughout the New Testament, and Lydia, who was a seller of purple goods as well. The other third one is closely related to that, and that's what I'll call marketplace professionals. Marketplace professionals are people who have a professional skill set, whether that's education or medicine or engineering or agriculture. I mean, the list could go on and on and on for that. But people who take their job with them, people who get a job in another country that they can use their skill set and be able to be salt and light there. Um, There's several countries in the Middle East that this is one of the only ways to be able to be in the country. Places like Saudi Arabia where starting a business is possible but difficult, but if you have a professional skill set, they want you to be there. And they'll invite you, if you have the right skill set, to take your job there and be able to share Christ with your coworkers and be able to be involved with ministry there as well. And so thinking about just even the future, uh, some of these other methods are ways that are going to have to be employed to be able to reach the remaining least-reached people groups around the world. And so just broad categories to kind of stir our minds thinking about that. Um, I do want to talk briefly about some reasons people don't go. As I've mobilized uh, over the last 10 years, had hundreds of conversations with with young, middle-aged, older people all across the spectrum, these are the four, what I'll consider the most common reasons people end up not going to the field or the biggest barriers they have to overcome to be able to do that. The first of those is things related to money. Uh, raising support is difficult. 
uh, to be able to trust the Lord with that and to ask people to partner and to give um, is a difficult thing. Um, and so it's just a, it's just a reality um, that can be just difficult for a lot of people. The second with that is debt, um, student debt in particular. Um, average student debt for college graduates, last I knew, was like $38,000. Uh, across the U.S. Maybe that's not true for all of you <laughs> students here. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's less. I don't know. You're like, only 38. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, for If you're a student and student debt is a barrier for you, let me just talk to you for a second about the GoFund. Uh, the GoFund exists to eliminate the barrier of student debt for qualified missionaries. Um, and so if people are going long-term to the unreached and to do church planting, between twenty and hundred thousand dollars of student debt, they will take you on and pay off your student loans. But it's not a barrier from you from being able to go sooner rather than later. And so I've got some cards on my table if that's you to check that out as well. The second one is relationships. Um, the first relationship is um, man. Let me just speak to the single people in here for a second. If you're considering dating someone and they're open to missions and you feel like God has put that on your heart to want to go and serve cross-culturally, if they're open to missions, forget it. It ain't happening. You get love goggles on, and then the open becomes, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to stay. And then it's, just, it's probably not going to happen. God can change hearts, but let me just give you that as a warning up front before you get into a relationship with someone who's open to missions, okay? The second one is uh, family. And the number one reason, the number one reason that people don't end up as long-term cross-cultural workers, Christian parents. Not non-Christian parents. Christian parents. And this used to be really frustrating for me. Um, because... I'm like, parents, get your act together. Like, what's so hard? Like, you idolizing your kids? Give them to the Lord. Right, but then uh, two years ago, something interesting happened. I became a dad. <laughs> and now I have a lot more empathy for parents than I had before. And you can understand more of the struggles with that. And, and our daughter, we named her Lucy uh, because we love the name. Uh, but also because Lucy means light. And every night before we put our daughter to bed, we pray for her. And at the end of our prayer, almost every night, we say, God, would you use her in some way to be a light to the nations? From Isaiah 49.6. And let me just tell you, that prayer is a lot harder to pray than I thought it was going to be. But as parents, when we release our children, and it stretches parents' faith just as much as those who are going, say, God, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I won't get to see grandkids as much. Like real difficulties. Will we see Jesus as worthy, whatever cost that that may be? And it is, it is a cost. I know some of you are facing that. And... The third is, is the needs here. There's always going to be needs here, of course. There's always going to be non-believers in Kansas. There's always going to be non-believers in Emporia. 
Um, I, was, I was one picture of that I just remember. I was in Tunisia, a country in North Africa, a few years ago, talking to some of our coworkers, and they just said, man, we've got this awesome opportunity. There's this school here. They're needing English teachers. There's 12 open positions. They're partially paid. Um, it's a great opportunity for people to be able to be here long term, to be able to meet people, to be a part of church planting, be able to share the gospel with, with Muslims, because there's only like 1,000 believers in our country of 11 million. And they said, we have been laboring year after year for the last three years to try to get, get teachers here. We can't get a single person to even apply for a position here. Can you help us do that? Like, what is wrong with people, right? And then that next week I got back, and I was at um, my home church in Manhattan, and uh, they were looking for a new pastor at the church. And they said, Andrew, we don't know what we're going to do. And we had this application open for five days, and we had 96 people apply. Now, is there a need for pastors in the U.S.? Absolutely. But that just, that, I just can't get that image out of my mind. Talking about the needs here. This final one, this idea of not being called. I'll just let Hudson Taylor uh, answer this one, the great missionary to China. Hudson Taylor said this. He said, It will not do to say that you have no special call to go. With these facts before you, with the command of the Lord Jesus to go and preach the gospel to every creature, you need rather to ascertain whether you have a special call to stay at home. He flips it around, what we normally think. is like, oh yeah, I would go if God was ever to call me. He says, no, 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 we've been commanded to go. We need to ask, am I called to stay? The final thing is reasons to go. I'll just talk about four briefly. And the great commandment and the great commission to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And who is our neighbor? Jesus answers that. For us in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The second is just the reality of eternity. Eternity is a very long time. The weighty thing you think about the glory of God and God dwelling with us and us dwelling with Him as our God and us, His people, and enjoying Him forever and those who will not. The third, there is a need. There's still a need in our world today for people to go and preach the good news to all creation. The fourth thing is Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of the praise of all peoples. He is the king who deserves all honor and the honor and praise of all peoples. That's going. Reasons to go. The, the fourth practice we're going to talk about just briefly is this idea of mobilization, of mobilizing. And what does this mean to mobilize? I'm, I'm a, my job title is mobilizer, so, um, I, I, but that doesn't really mean a lot to a lot of people, and that's okay. Um, but when I'm thinking about mobilization, I'm thinking about it in a couple different ways. Uh, this is the definition of mobilization that I came up with. If you look up the definition of mobilize in the uh, dictionary, it's going to say something like to marshal and ready the troops for war, like mobilizing an army. That's where the term originates. Um, and so there's some similarities in that. We are in a war. We are fighting a global, cosmic, supernatural war. And so there's some elements to that. But the definition of mobilization I want to share with you is simply this. Inviting others to join you in living out God's global purpose. 
We're participating as sending. We're participating in going, whether that's short or long term. We're participating in welcome. We're just saying, hey, friend, I'm going to go and uh, we're going to pray for the world together. Would you, you want to you join me in that? Or, hey, we're going we're gonna to go uh, come to this missions conference at 12th Avenue. You want to come? It's a great time. Uh, it's just saying, hey, we're, we're, uh, we're going to be uh, meeting some international students on campus. Why don't, why don't you come with me? And inviting people to participate in the things that you are passionate about. And we already mobilize to things, right? You all know mobilizers for things like CrossFit or pickleball or like uh, essential oils, right? Because they're always talking about these things, right? The things that we're passionate about, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and so if we're passionate about the things of the Lord, it's going to naturally overflow into the conversations that we have. And if we're passionate about God's glory among the nations, we can't help but talk about it and invite people to participate in that with us. And so to think about this more simply, I, I shared this with a group at lunch today. This has just stuck with me. Um, this question that I ask myself, and I think is a good question for all of us to ask, no matter what age we are, no matter what stage of life we're in. And the question about all of these things, these different, this lifestyle of the global Christian is simply this. It says, is my life my best response to the great commandment and the great commission? Is my life my best response to these things? Considering the things that I know, considering where I'm at in life right now, considering the great commandment, to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and to go make disciples of all nations, what is, what is my best response in this time? And the best thing I love about this question, it doesn't, it doesn't ask where do you live. It doesn't ask what your vocation is. It, it could affect all of these things and probably will affect all of these things to some degree or another. But if we can wake up in 12th Avenue, if you can say yes, and God, my life right now is my best response to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, then I think God has you exactly where you should be. But if the answer is, I'm not sure, or, or, or no, I don't feel that's true, then, then maybe there's some things to think about and how to reorient your life around what God is doing in the world. And to, to focus our minds on that, I just want to close by our conference and in my time, at least, by just reminding us of what the end goal is, what all of this is headed towards. And so let me just read, if you want to flip there, you can, book of Revelation, chapter 5, or just listen to me as I, as I read from God's Word. Uh, Revelation, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, John is seeing a vision, chapters 4 and 5, uh, around the throne. Starting in verse 1, he says this, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open 
the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped God. We worship you as the king who is worthy of the praise of all peoples. God, I pray that you would receive that, what you are due. God, in, in my life and in the lives of the people in this room and in the nations around the world, God, I pray for each one of us in here that we would um, respond in whatever way that you are speaking to us. If that's stirring in our hearts to be a part of something different, to change something in our lives, to reorient something in our lives or our entire life around what you're doing, that you would give us wisdom to know how to best do that. God, give each of us courage, give each of us grace to take whatever that next step is and take the next step after that. As we walk by faith, would you lead us according to your word and by your spirit? And God, would you use us in some small way to be a blessing to the nations? Would you continue to use 12th Avenue as a body of believers here in Emporia to, to, to be a change in this community, in the nations around the world? And God, we love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. And we bring that last slide back up for a minute. And I want to do what we've been doing all through the book of Nehemiah. Um, because we, we want to hear, but we don't just want to hear. We want to allow whatever God is saying to speak to our heart. And then we want to put it to use in our hand. So I want you to take a minute and think of the three sessions that we have or whichever ones you've been at. What's the most important thing that you've learned? Something, a fact, something about the 1040 window something about the unreached, just whatever it is. What is something that you have learned that really grabbed you up here in your thinking? Take a minute and think about that.
I think most importantly, and if we go to the, the things that we challenge with the card that we have, the response card, and what he talked about tonight, what's God speaking to you? What is he asking you to do? How is he asking you to step into some way into a greater reorientation of your life to what God's doing in the world? So ask yourself that question. So head, heart, and hand, what are you going to do about it? If you've got your response card, that might be a good place to check some of those things. If not, we've got some that are back the information booth to grab on the way out. But what, what is a specific step or two that you're going to take to be more of a global Christian? What would that be? Is it going? Is God nudging you to one of those three ways or perhaps investing your life to his global mission or is it taking a step into a short-term mission trip? We're hoping to do an exploratory, not hoping, I think we're going to do an exploratory trip next summer, some of us, to the UK to figure out how we can get doing some short-term mission with them, but maybe it's a short-term mission trip of some kind. Um, maybe it's welcoming. Because God has brought the nations to us, and God is at work there. And it's might I just help someone with English. I'll help give rides to the airport, to Walmart. I'll host somebody for Thanksgiving. Mobilizing. Um, you know, I said this morning, the missions committee is needing help, that missions team. But I love, um, Andrew, how you put it. It's just, how can I invite somebody into what God's doing globally in any way? That's, that's really cool. Um, and is it sending? And we always ask every nurse on the card to, to make a commitment. Pray to the Lord and commit what he lays in your heart to be giving to missions. This church is so generous. Do you know that about 33% of every dollar that's given this church is going to God's global mission? Is that not cool? You guys are very generous. Let's keep doing that. So ask that question. But also, can I be partnering with a missionary, particularly by getting their letter, and I'm praying for them, and I'm encouraging them, and being an ambassador. So... How's God asking you to respond today? Great question. Yeah, is my life my best response to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment? It's very challenging. How many of you were here last night? No shame if you don't raise your hand. How many of you got to be here last night when Andrew first spoke? He began with a great story from northwest Kansas of a farmer who, a field that left um, untended, wasn't harvested, and went to waste. And he said, a harvest, a harvest without labors becomes a tragedy. So God is on a mission to reach all nations, right? That's, 
He's on a mission to do that, and we want to align our lives with that. So thanks for being here for the last few nights, for, I mean, last night, for this morning, for today, and I trust that God has really challenged you through all this. Um, probably a few things we need to do, Christy. Okay. So a couple things. There is a little food left over. We've got it bagged up. If you want some, there's some chicken, some mashed potatoes, some rolls, some dessert, some gravy. Please take it. If you want to help with missions, I got something you can help with tonight. When you guys, when this is all done, we have to tear this all down. So if you want to stay and help, we would love to have you help us with that. And we thank you all for coming. There's the resource table. The craft table will be there. Um, and visit the missionaries on your way out. It's Brother Samuel here. Brother, there you are. When we tear down, I think we're going to end up stacking tables in here and all. You know better than anybody how to do that, so could you kind of help us do that? So if you could help us, like last night, I think let's get the decorations off. I'm guessing room seven again. Mike, would that be helpful? Okay, chairs in groups of seven. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Any other things? The Genevieve, is that you back there? Um, these cards, if, if they're not on top, they're sitting. Yeah, grab a response card on your way out. Please pray over and think about this. And again, the booklets, the prayer booklets are on the way out on the left-hand side in a box. But I think... Um, I think that's good. Was it not good to be together? I mean, the best time of the year in the sports world is not February, March, Super Bowl, NCAA tournament, right? I think the best time of the year for this church is the missions conference. Um, it's such a it's so much of who we are. It's because it's so much of who God is. So, Andrew, thank you again. You did a great job. Yeah, to all our missionaries who were here, thanks for coming. So go stop and see them again. Missions team, one more time. Thank all of you. So, yep. Okay, 12. God is on a mission, and we are called to be on a mission with him too. So, as always, 12th, you are sent.